For those of you who may be unfamiliar with that land they're singing about, toward the end of John Bunyan's Pilgrim Progress, it's a place, the ideal place that Christians pursuing. And what makes it beautiful is the same thing that makes all things beautiful. And that is the reason we long for that place is because that's where Christ is. Christ is the beautiful one and all beauty is a derivative of Him. And so when you hear it, when you hear the beautiful music, when you hear the beautiful voices, when you see the beautiful light, it's all a derivative of the beautiful one, which is Christ. And the reason we long for that place or any place is because we want to be in the place where God is. And that's why we sing that song. That's why we gather here to look forward to what Christ is going to do, as well as reflect on what He has done. And as we consider God's Word this morning, let us, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we ask that You would speak to our hearts. Lord, we know there are many things that we hear throughout the week, played over in our own minds, played through the television, played through our culture. And Lord, we just pray as we look in Your Word now that You would give us a bearing to what is true and what is right, what is good and what is beautiful. Would You speak to us in Your Word, God? Would You take the words that I say and help the people to remember those that align with Your Word and forget those that do not? And would You use this time to sharpen us, to convict us, to challenge us, to encourage us, to comfort us, to make us who You want us to be? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, an interesting observation, I know you've seen it, and that is, if you have any type of tragedy or you know, dramatic event, let's say like Hurricane Katrina or something like that, or maybe 9-11 or some major event like that, uh, it tends to bring out the best in people and the worst. You have people that rise to the occasion and they show great courage and bravery, and love and sacrifice, and they go and they help others. And you see some of the best of humanity, but you also see some of the worst. You have you know, people looting stores, you have people resulting to, or going to violence, you know, treating people violently. Uh, 9-11, you have people seeking to rescue some, but then in the aftermath you have people you know, falsely claiming they lost loved ones in the towers, trying to claim you know, uh, money that's not theirs. And so you see the good, you see the evil, and we all know that our world is just a mixture of both of those things. <laughs> we have good, we have evil, and it really prompts the question for the Christians, for the church, and that is, how do we relate to that tension? How do we deal with that? How do we deal with the fact that good and evil is growing up together? And in order to answer that question, Jesus actually tells this parable in Matthew 13 to prepare those followers of His for this faith journey that they're embarking on, especially as He departs from them. And so in this parable this morning, I want to share with you three truths. I want to highlight three truths from this parable. And the first one we see is that Jesus is the owner of the world. The world is His. He starts the parable by saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And then later in his explanation in verse 37, he says, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And so let's see if we can put all this together. The field is the world. The world belongs to the Son of Man. Jesus is the Son of Man. So the world is His. Jesus owns the world. 
He is you know, the master of the world. And this is an important truth we need to recognize, especially as followers of Christ, that He is the owner of the world. And the Apostle Paul says it this way to the Colossian Christians. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. Talking about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, both visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created by Him and for Him. And He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So the world belongs to Christ. In Christ, all things hold together. He is the master of the world. It is His. Or as the Dutch theologian Abraham Kuyper said, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine. It's all His. The field is His. This is His field, belongs to Him, and He's at work in it. Now, that causes us to ask, ask a question, though. If the world is Christ's, if it belongs to Him, and He's active in the world, then why is there so much evil in the world? You know, we've all asked that question. Anybody that holds to any type of morality has probably asked a question similar to that. And that leads me to the second truth I want to share with you. And that is, Jesus says that there's an enemy at work in the world. You know, if you were to plant a garden, which I did this past year, a little garden. When you plant a garden, you anticipate weeds growing in your garden, right? And it's my job as the gardener to try to figure out a way to plant a garden with as little potential for weed growth as possible. Right? Because we do not want to go through and de-weed a garden. I mean, you want to... So, I, uh, I took these pallets, those wooden pallets, and I planted the vegetables in between the board slats that keeps the weeds down. And then I took one of those soaker hoses and ran it through, so, and I put it on a timer. So, I really don't have to do anything but pick the vegetables. It's a pretty good deal. And so, you don't want weeds. But we know when you plant a garden, there's going to be some weed growth. However, when you plant a garden, let's say you plant some corn, and then you go out and you see all this corn-like plant coming up. You know, you've got some corn, you've got some things that later you'll find out it's not corn. But all this is growing, and you don't know which is which. What, what's the corn, what's not the corn? You begin to think, you know, once you find out that that's not corn, it's some type of weed that looks like corn, you begin to think to yourself... You know, this isn't just some random outcropping of weeds. You know, someone has sabotaged my garden. Right? And, that's, and that's what we see here in the parable. You see an enemy coming in and sowing seed among the wheat. And the type of seed that the enemy sows is a, is a, is a weed that grows and looks very similar to the wheat. I mean, it's striking how similar it looks. And so, this would happen in the first century. Jesus was aware of this. The crowd was aware of this. And this seed is called, most likely it's the seed called darnel, which is a poisonous plant. looks a lot like wheat, especially in those early stages of growth. But then as the wheat begins to produce the grain, obviously the weed can't do that. And so, at some point, there's a way to distinguish between the two. But early on, 
it's very difficult. And so you have the weed and the wheat growing together, closely together for a period of time, and it's hard to tell which is which. And then finally, you're able to distinguish it when the wheat begins to produce the grain. And this is what happens in Jesus' parable. He says in verse 25, But while men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So that the, so when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. So even though the world belongs to Christ, we see here in this parable that there are two sowers in the world. Jesus sows into the world and the devil sows into the world. We're familiar with you know, thinking about creation, the fact that God created the world. We're familiar with this idea of, of an intelligent designer. But we also see in this parable that there's an intelligent destroyer. There's, there's one who's at work in the world to destroy God's handiwork. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He's the one who modeled for us what it looks like to turn your back on God. Jesus tells us that he's the devil. In verse 38, he says, in his explanation, he says, The field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And so what we see here is that there's a force in the world that seeks to defy God. There's a personal influence that is constant that seeks to you know, corrupt God's creation. Now we all know personally that we can identify with the hymn writer when he says, you know, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We all know there's this tendency in our fabric, you know, how we're made. I mean, in the fallenness of our flesh, that there's this tendency just to gravitate away from the Lord and defy the Lord. We know that. All of us know that. We sense that. We've experienced that. There's this pull that takes us away from the Lord in our own fabric, in our own fallenness. And we know that in the world, there is a brokenness to the world that makes it very easy to sin. But what Jesus is telling us here is that behind our flesh, our fallen nature, behind the brokenness of the world, that there is one who is actively sowing weeds in the field. And his name is the devil. Now I know if you're like me, I would like a more detailed explanation of why evil's in the world and why, why, why does it you know, run rampant the way it does. But in this parable, Jesus simply traces evil back to the evil one and says that there is one that is sowing evil in the world. And we learn a few things here about the devil in this, in this passage, in this parable. The first thing we learn is that he is sneaky. You know, he, he sows the seed when? While they're sleeping. He does his most destructive work in a way that's hard to see. He's sneaky. The second thing we see is that he is strategic. He doesn't just sow weeds in your garden, but he sows a weed that looks very similar to the good seed, the good plant, the good crop. You see, bold-faced evil is easy to recognize, isn't it? <laughs> you can see it, you know it, you know it's wrong, but 
the type of evil that the devil is sowing in this parable is, is one that resembles the good. See, the devil is more strategic than you and I could ever be. Very sneaky, very strategic. So when he plants evil, he does so in a way that's not easily detected and it's not easily uprooted. And the third thing we see here is that he is he's sinister. He, he always acts contrary to Christ. His mission is to steal, kill, and destroy. And one theologian said it this way. He says, when we combine all these statements and see that Satan is thought of as the originator of lies, murder, deception, false teaching, and sin generally, then it seems, it seems reasonable to conclude that the New Testament wants us to understand that there is some degree of demonic influence in nearly all wrongdoing and sin that occurs today. I mean, Satan has influence in the world. He's sowing evil seed, according to this parable. And Jesus tells us that Jesus produces sons of the kingdom, whereas the devil produces sons of the evil one. And they grow side by side in the same field, in the same world. And when the servants, you know, the master, they they see this, the wheat and the weed growing up beside one another, and they realize what's happening. They go to the master, and they ask him a question that we would ask. You know, how do we deal with this evil in the world? What is the role of the church with regard to evil in the world? You know, the servants ask, you know, should we pull it up? Should we pull up those weeds before harvest time? Do you want us to go and gather them, they say in verse 28. In other words, they're saying, should we go out into this maturing wheat crop and yank out all the weeds? Well, let me, let me translate that question for you. you know, I think we'd ask Jesus the question this way. We'd say, Jesus, do you want your church to pull out evil from the world by force? Do you want your church to go out in the world and pull out the evil, yank out the evil weeds by force. Is that something you want us to do? And this leads us to our third truth, in that the parable teaches us that there's actually a harvest time. It's an important truth for us to remember. And one thing we need to notice is the patience of the owner of the field. You know, when the servants say, should we go out there and just yank these weeds up right now? He says, well, we need to wait. Just let them continue to grow. And a time will come that we will pull up the wheat and the weeds and we will separate them accordingly. And he says, the reason, the reason why I don't want you to pull up the wheat, the wheat, I mean the weeds right now before the harvest time is because you may damage the wheat. In other words, the master is saying, let's give it more time so that the wheat can be fruitful. And so I think we learn a few things here about the church and our role in the world. One is, it's not the church's job to pull up the weeds. That's not our role. In other words, 
it's not our job to take up the sword and defeat evil. We saw Peter try to do that. And Jesus stopped him and then restored the damage he had done. It's not the job of the church to take up the sword and defeat evil. Now, we need to be aware of evil. We need to call it what it is. And I think through peaceful means, we need to seek to restrain and put down evil. But it's not the church's job to pull up the weeds. That's not our role in the kingdom. But what we do see here is that there will be a time when evil will be concretely judged, not by the church, but by the Lord of the harvest. And so as the church, we should not, we should not be supportive of evil, but we should not be surprised by it. Because Jesus says, we're living in a world where there's an enemy sowing bad seed, and there will be evil in the world, and good growing up right next to each other, right next door to each other, right? So we should not support evil, but we shouldn't be surprised by it. Another thing that we need to remember, church, is that we were all weeds once. We were all weeds. We were all sons of the evil one. And that may help us to have a more patient disposition towards evil. Not that we should support it, but that we should realize that God is at work, even in the midst of the presence of evil, God is at work, and He can even turn weeds into wheat. So the first thing the church we can learn is that we shouldn't pull up the weeds. That's not our role. The second lesson we can learn is that our role is to produce wheat. Our role is to be fruitful in the world for the glory of God. We are to be a fruitful people. We're to live with you know, Christ in mind. We live for Christ. And we should seek to make our communities as good as they can be. We know they're not going to be perfect because there's always going to be good and evil growing up beside each other. And we know that all the evil will not be taken out of the field until Christ returns. But we should seek to make our communities as good as they can be. And the way we do that is by loving God and loving one another. That's the way we do it. We, we live out our faith in a sacrificial Savior. And by doing that, we are compelled to be sacrificial. To give of ourselves for the good of other people, both in the church and in the city of Augusta, for example. We can give, our, give of ourselves for the good of others because that's what Christ has done for us. And if we have that love for Christ and that love for others, what it will do, it will compel us to try to see as many weeds as possible become wheat. That's what we want to see. We don't want to see simply weeds being pulled up. We want to see them transformed from weeds to wheat. That's what we want to see. And this is the beauty and the power of the gospel. Because even though the devil, the evil one, is a strong adversary... Jesus has bound the strong man. In other words, there's one who is greater than he that is in the world. And his name is Jesus Christ. And although we are helpless against the evil one, with Christ we can be transformed from you know, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. However, this transformation has to take place before harvest time. 
We do have a time frame here that this transformation needs to happen. And so, as the Puritan Richard Baxter once said, we must not misinterpret God's patience with the ungodly. Don't misinterpret God's patience. In other words, don't think that because you have time that you'll always have time. Because Jesus says, there is a time in which the wheat and the weeds will grow together, but then there will also be a time when there will be a harvest and there will be a separation. I'll tell you a story about this man. His name is Clarence Jackson. This was in the Atlanta Journal several years ago. And Clarence Jackson, I guess he bought a lottery ticket, and the lottery winnings were worth $5.8 million. And Clarence, he worked in a small cleaning business in Hartford, Connecticut, to help care for his you know, aging parents. And he had the winning ticket. But he gave that ticket to his father to hold on to, and he just was unaware that it was the winning ticket. And he didn't realize it until 15 minutes before the deadline, the one-year deadline to claim his prize. Okay, 15 minutes he has to register his ticket. Now, I guess it was a, maybe a Friday or Saturday or Sunday, I'm not sure. But he decided to wait until Monday because he didn't think he could go and, you know, validate the ticket at his local gas station or whatnot that he had to go to the lottery office. So he waited until Monday to do it, the day after the deadline. And as he turned that ticket in, they told him he's too late. Your one-year deadline has passed. And so Clarence Jackson lost out on his $5.8 million. That would have been his if he would have just validated that ticket one day earlier. Now, what is it like to, to lose $5.8 million? I don't know, and I don't want to know, right? But as I look at this parable, you see, okay, there is a time that we can choose Christ, that we can become wheat, that we can receive forgiveness, that we can embrace this new life that's in Christ. But there is a cap on that time. And I don't know what it's like to lose that much money, but I don't, know, I don't want to know what it's like to fail to be ready to meet the Lord. And so, by extending patience to give the weeds the opportunity to become weak, let us not assume that time will always be there. Because when that opportunity closes, Jesus says this in verse 30. He says, Let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. And then when he explains it, you gather a little more force to what he means here when he says in verse 39, The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. Now this is Jesus speaking. And we know Jesus to be 
a sacrificial, loving, good Savior. But at the same time, He tells the truth. And He says, for those who don't want to be with God, then the time will come, in the harvest time, that they will be gathered and separated from Him. And they will be placed in a, in a place described by Christ as a place full of weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is a popular reference to hell. It's a place where you are separated from the goodness, the glory, the love, the fellowship, the community of God. And all that's left for you to experience is the wrath of God. He says that time will come where if you are a weed, you will be placed over here. And if you are wheat, then you will be brought in to the kingdom of God. Where you will shine like the sun. And you get this picture of purity, beauty, all the things we were singing about. Righteousness, holiness, love, goodness, everything that God is. You see it reflected in that place. And so Jesus says, there will be a harvest time when that decision will be made But Jesus also said in John 2.24, He said, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So what Jesus is saying is, He is the grain of wheat that falls to the ground and dies. And the reason He does that, the reason He dies and gives Himself up on the cross is so that we can shine like the sun in the presence of God the Father. The reason He falls to the ground and dies and is raised up again is so that weeds can become wheat. So that we can have hope of eternal life, forgiveness, new life in Christ if we choose to follow Him. And so if you are a follower of Christ, I encourage you to live with eternity in mind. Live with Christ in mind. Have an eternal perspective. If you're not in Christ, I would challenge you to consider, where am I going to spend eternity? What if Jesus' words are true and that time will come where I will meet the Lord or the Lord will meet me? Will I be a weed or will I be the wheat? And when harvest time comes, I pray that all of us will be found to be wheat. That we'll all be found to be in the kingdom of God. And in the meantime... While we're waiting, I want to encourage you, church, to let us bear as much fruit as possible for the one who has planted us. Let us pray. God, we come to you knowing that you are the owner of all things. Christ is the King. In Him, all things were made. Through Him, all things were made. Everything holds together in Him. And Lord, we just pray that we would live lives like wheat, trusting in You, walking by faith, seeking to produce fruit that will last, that we would love You and love others. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know You, Lord, I pray that You would make Yourself clear to them. I pray Your words would ring loud and clear in their minds and hearts. And then you would draw them to yourself, that they would come closer to you, that they would even place their faith in you and be transformed from weeds to wheat, that they would enter your kingdom, that they would be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom 
of your beloved Son. And I pray that this church, that we would be, even now, shining, maybe not quite as brightly as we will when you come back, but that we would shine nonetheless and showcase your goodness and what you've done for us in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.